Baltimore, Maryland. Havoc. Chaos in the streets. This is Noxo. Case Files of Joshua Chambers. A crime drama set in the heinous world of the Dark Charm universe. the horror and panic in his eyes. I could see that his muscles couldn't control his motions. Cole Jackson literally pissed his pants in front of me as his resolve seemed to wither away, eating at his mind. The sad part that this was going to end like this was a damn shame. Cole Jackson was a dedicated member of the Baltimore Police Force. They weren't going to keep him alive, even if he did kill me. And now here I was, at Power Plant Live in Baltimore City, playing quick draw with him because Vern Garvey and the Ordo Vitalis had control of his mind. While in my mind this whole thing seemed to last forever, it was a mere matter of a few moments. While my questions lacked answers, that didn't mean that they weren't there. What part did Agent Jason Stark play in this fiasco, and why was he here now with Garvey? I was definitely not certain. He stared at me though, not with contempt, but with indifference. It was as if I was just there, and not the focus of his ire. That puzzled me. Shoot him, Mr. Jackson, and it'll all be wiped away. Vern Garvey said, as if he was laying on more of the influence. I had to help him combat the brainwashing. Fight back, Cole. He has no intention of letting you live. You know too much. Just drop the gun. In the small distance between us, I saw the tears run down his face as he breathlessly responded. <laughs> I, I, I can't stop. Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry, Cap. We're wasting time. Fire on him now. <laughs> I... What happened next was all a blur. I pulled my Glock from my holster, proving my latent gunslinger speed, and squeezed the trigger. Shot Cole Jackson, a man I knew and admired, smack dab in the middle of his head. It felt like I had ripped a part of my heart from my chest in killing him. But I had to. I had to do it for Karen and Milo. It didn't mean that it sickened me to the core. Life slowed down as I watched the crimson stream flow like a torrent out of Cole's forehead and nose as he slinked down to the frozen pavement. It was as if I could see Cole's soul leave his body, and it became an inanimate object right before my eyes. The patrons of the bars of Power Plant Live, at least the ones who seemed to be aware of what was going on behind Vern Garvey, gasped in horror as to what was happening in front of them. They planned this perfectly, not knowing that because of forcing my hand gave the police the sole right to fire back at me and gun me down. And the police did just that, as they pulled their firearms from their holsters and proceeded to fire at me. I hobbled as best I could behind an SUV nearby. Aside from this little respite, I had no place I could run, and this ankle hindered fancy maneuvering. I pulled my Fiatia Law 12 shotgun from my coat and started firing back at the men I called my brethren. But these men weren't cops. These men were traitors to the badge they carried and the people they supposedly protected. As accurate as I was with Cole, I wasn't so with my shotgun attacks. I didn't hit anyone, and if I did, they didn't show any inkling that they were hurt. 
Their bullets glanced off the metal and fiberglass of the SUV. I could hear their boots and shoes trying to come around to flank me as I tried to keep firing to save distance, but I knew that this was going to be futile because of the numbers if I didn't get out of there soon. Dear God, please help me, I muttered to myself. I found that after my last shots, I was now out of shells, and even though I put a new clip in my Glock, it wouldn't be enough to totally hold off the police coming. Even though I kept firing, I closed my eyes and prepared for the worst. What I didn't anticipate was my wife Karen pulling her car into danger and taking action the way she did. She pulled up in the roundabout and lowered her window. Get in the car! Karen screamed from the driver's seat. I could hear my son crying in panic amidst the gunfire, and it was a shame that this had to happen to him, and thank God that he was at such a young age where he couldn't remember anything. I hobbled with as much speed as I could to the front of the car, scraping bullet fire as best as I could. It was a miracle that no bullets hit my car or the windows. I leapt into the car as she pulled away like a bat out of hell. It was like something out of a 1980s gangster movie. All surreal, but out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw a shadow on top of the building, watching the whole thing take place. It honestly could have been anyone. John Darlington? Maybe even the Baltimore Angel? Worse, maybe Kane himself. Karen said in panic as we made our way into the city. She checked intermittently to see if I was shot between stoplights. We had to get out. My adrenaline was so high that I couldn't even explain what happened. Josh! She shouted to me to get out of my fugue. I killed him. I killed him. I muttered almost thoughtlessly. Karen tried to calm the baby. Shh, shh, shh. It's okay. It's okay. Shh. Joshua, look, I know you're going through something huge right now, and I care about you deeply, and I don't want to put aside what you're feeling, but I need you to get him to stop crying. I, I can't think right now, and I need to think to get us out of this. Please, Josh, calm him so I can think. I unbuckled my crying son from the car seat and brought him to me. He wailed in fear. I could only lie to him. Hey, kiddo, it's gonna be okay. Shh, it's all right. We're going to be out of here soon. I held my infant son in my arms. We finally got onto I-395 and got the hell out of Baltimore. No one was following us, surprisingly enough, and they had ample chance to. No sirens, no cop cars, nothing. It made me worried. I don't know how many minutes it took to get Milo quiet, but I eventually did. Karen's gears started moving. Okay, okay, all right, we're headed south. We will get a motel room. I'll pay for it with my credit card. As if an afterthought, not knowing what rabbit hole I could have went down, I replied, they might have access to our records. Do you think they have that kind of power? I sighed as I stroked Milo's hair. I don't know. But do you think that they have their clutches in the Baltimore police system and not have it in the economic sector? So far, they haven't shut off our finances, but... But that's only because this has been so soon. An idea came into my head. Give me your cell phone. What? I said, give me your cell phone. She handed it to me as I lowered the window and threw both of our phones out the window. Why did you do that? You know damn well why. The SIM cards can be traced, and that's the last thing we want. We ended up at the most dismal motel room we could find, close to her sister's home in Richmond, Virginia. We didn't call her, obviously, without knowing if they were even bugged. The baby was cooperative and slept through the night. 
I guess crying your head off due to gunfire will tucker you out. We were lucky we didn't have bed bugs, but that didn't give a good night's sleep for me. I made sure that I took the first shift watching over my family. Sadly, I still fell asleep. I was lucky no one came in. When I woke up that morning, I turned on the news to see that I was in the twilight zone. Uh, I, I don't believe that I'm seeing this. The news reporter said with a straight face, as she didn't know what she was reporting was absurd, stated that I was on the run, that I mercilessly killed Cole Jackson, Vernon Slade, and had kidnapped my own wife and son. Me! This was utter bullshit if I ever heard any. I have been stripped of my command and my standing as a police officer, and now I'm part of Maryland's Most Wanted. You didn't kidnap your own family. I felt powerless. For the first time in a long time, I felt this way as I just stared at the television screen. I don't know what to do. I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. Maybe I should just surrender to protect you two. You know that's a death sentence for us all. We know too much. They need to be stopped, Joshua. I stood up and started to pace. I can't even go out to show my face. Hell, you had to check us into the motel. How do we contact people to tell them we're okay? That this whole thing is a sham? A knock came from behind the motel room door. Both Karen and I grabbed our guns and pointed them at the door. I looked at the peephole carefully and I sighed. Unlocking it. Remael, or the shell of what Remael contained, stood before me at the door. Could have used you last night, I responded, but still in a respectful tone to the angel of death. How do you think you got out alive? A lot of those bullets were diverted away from afar. Sadly, I couldn't be more effective for you, considering they were using you as bait. Bait? Remiel turned to Karen and smiled. It was a bit eerie, but warm coming from the pale young man before her. It didn't seem to make too much difference to Karen as she clutched her firearm even more. I guess this is the normal feeling you would get when coming across an angel of death. It's as if he knew it too. Fear not of me, You're... Mrs. Chambers. You're the angel of death Joshua was talking about? Seems you divulge all of your information equally between the two of you. A good marriage is built on trust. I also had to explain why I discharged my pistol in the home and there was no dead body, I responded. Now what do you mean by me being bait? Bait for whom? Remiel looked around while still outside. Well, I would love to tell you, but being outside here might be suspicious. May I come in? Showed him into the lousy motel room and closed the door as swiftly as possible. Uh, never thought we would be inviting death inside. Remiel turned to me. You were bait for me, set up by who you know as Jason Stark. What about this guy? It was strange how he showed up on the scene. You know he is not what or who he says he is. All I know is that he's working for Ordo Vitalis. Remiel shook his head. He was responsible for the killings at the 8x10 on New Year's Eve. He was the one who turned the drowers to ash, and he was the one who killed those who weren't inebriated. So that's why he was at the scene. He was checking up on his own handiwork and trying to place the blame on you. Correct. As for the Ordo Vitalis involvement, it's only cursory to get what he wants. He has no allegiance to heaven or hell, and they don't know it. This was alien to me. What does that mean? The being that is Jason Stark is Grigori. He comes from the same line of angels as myself. The only difference is that he never saw the abyss. Grigori? You, you mean like 
Book of Enoch, Grigori? Turn to my wife. Can somebody fill me in? Okay, look. The Bible only tells of Lucifer's rebellion from heaven. But if you go by the Apocrypha, it wasn't the only one. A group of angels from heaven, called the Watchers, or Grigori, came from heaven to watch over the burgeoning human race. They were told to watch, but not interfere with human history. Sadly, they disobeyed the orders of the Almighty, and they taught mankind things they weren't meant to learn yet. They even began to fall in love and take human wives. Then those wives became pregnant with these human-angel hybrids, or the Nephilim. Once the Master saw what was going on, he realized that because of the wicked ways of mankind and the Grigori influence, he had to intervene, and he told Noah to build the ark. I smiled. How do you know this? I took theology as a minor in college. The Apocrypha is interesting. So how did this make you a target for him? And how will this keep us alive? I am a threat to his plans, and so are you. Which is why you need to leave this motel room as soon as possible. If I found you, there is no doubt that they will find you shortly, if they haven't already. Your face is plastered everywhere in the Mid-Atlantic. We started gathering our things. Does this mean that you're in the fight with us? I think that is unavoidable now. Several moments later, we were loading the car. If we could find a way to level the playing field in our favor, I would have been open to any suggestions. Karen quickly went to return the keys to the management office, when Ramael looked toward the north. They're here. Poured over the scenery, trying to see what he saw. It's obvious I wasn't. Karen ran back. Let's get out of here. I pointed to the car. Go. What What are you doing? They're here. Ramael and I will hold them off so that you and Milo can escape. But I don't see anyone. There will be massive carnage here. No human being in this motel will be safe. Well, then we should get the tenants out. I'll do that. There's no time for you and Milo, though. Go to your sister's. I'll make my way there later. I went to the car and made sure to grab all the guns and ammo we had left. Karen kissed me goodbye. I love you. Come back to me. I gazed into my wife's eyes. I'll never leave you. Karen caressed my cheek and got into the car, pulled out of the parking lot, and headed down the road. I strapped every weapon I could to my body. Romeo studied me and my limp. I still had a broken ankle after all. You cannot go into this fight with a broken ankle, Joshua Chambers. Unless you can fix that, I have to deal with what I deal with. Romeo scanned me over. There is something I haven't told you. I am not what you call a traditional angel. If I healed you, there would be repercussions. What do you mean? I am a fallen angel. You're a demon? I asked, disbelief cascading over my face. Not exactly. I do not possess heaven's infinite power anymore. I garner it from faith, and for the lack of a better term, thrives. If I were to heal you, the remnant of my torture from being in the abyss might transfer over to you. As minimal as it is, it could change something inside of you. Being offered by Ramael to heal my ankle did sound tempting, but I'll fight on my own terms. Thanks, but no thanks. I hobbled to the bottom four rooms and knocked on every door I could, trying to get everyone out. I told them that their lives were in danger. 
I got through three doors before I saw seven black Humvees drive into the parking lot. They were followed by a black limousine. It all reminded me of a presidential convoy, but if the president was in this limousine, it would be the least of my worries. Several men in SWAT uniforms got out of the Humvees, armed to the teeth, and proceeded to spread out, engulfing us like water in a cavern. Out of the limousine stepped Agent Jason Stark, Vern Garvey, and Miranda Cudaviste. I began to count just for the hell of it. Twenty-five to two. Granted, one was a fallen angel with the powers of death, so I hoped that might even the odds a little bit. My hopes died as the facade Jason Stark was using to disguise himself faded away. He was similar to Raniel in every facet, except his robes were stained indigo instead of charcoal gray. He also carried a large scythe. Heavenly Father. What? I asked him. That's Azrael's scythe. What is he doing with Azrael's scythe? And hope, like a freshly shot out turd, just went down the fucking drain. In the cast you heard, Dan Mac McCloskey, Miguel Pedrosa, Danny Atwell, Ferg Burfel, Emily McAnulty, and Justin Gregory. Loves a Loaded Gun by Alice Cooper. Special effects by Zapsplat.com. Copyright 2022. Dark Charmedia. All rights reserved. <laughs>